The Big Wake Up by Mark Coggins is what you hope every private eye novel will be, says Edgar Award-winning author Megan Abbott. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 19. Windbreakers. I felt like a parent or spouse opening a Department of Defense telegram, only worse. There wasn't even a messenger or notification officer to take out my emotions on. I paced around the suddenly confining apartment, my mind conjuring all the horrific things ISIS could be doing to Molina at that very moment. Orlando's example was the most chilling. Even when she had been given exactly what she wanted, ISIS had gone through with her threat to embalm his arm. I tried calling the number, but there was no answer. I typed and retyped a response to the text message, most drafts exhausting the number of characters allowed before my thoughts were completed. Early versions had a pleading tone to them. Later ones grew angry and threatening. In the end, I tried to come across confident and businesslike, hiding as much as possible how deeply I was affected and playing the only card I hoped I might hold. Understood, I sent. M must not be molested in any way, or E will be destroyed. I stared at myself in the hallway mirror as I shrugged on my jacket, preparatory to going out the door. I looked like a man who decided to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. Confident and businesslike, I repeated to myself. W.J.'s Firearms, the gunsmith where I left my father's pistols, was on the corner of Mission and Cortland. I phoned Chris from the Escalade to tell him to meet me there with whatever he'd come up with on Mountain View Cemetery. I hung up while he was still grumbling about being given too little time. The W.J. and W.J.'s firearms was Windbreaker John. He started the business in the mid-70s and then watched as nearly all of his competition went the way of the dodo. San Francisco values, to borrow the Fox News expression, had made the idea of profiting from firearm sales and service more and more of anathema. It didn't bother Windbreaker John. He owned the five-story building in which the shop was housed, so had almost no overhead, and reveled in providing premium expert service to his diverse customer base of gun nuts, law enforcement officers, heat-packing lesbians, and the rare private citizen like myself, whose livelihood was somehow legitimately tied to guns, bullets, and making sure the latter were accurately and reliably discharged from the former. An electronic squawk sounded as I broke the beam projecting across the doorway of the shop. Windbreaker was behind the counter, playing with the parts from a Glock automatic, much like the one General Vilas had taken from me at the warehouse in China Basin. He was a pale man with a thin, chiseled nose, bad posture, and graying, wavy brown hair. He wore large aviator-style glasses and the trademark brown nylon windbreaker that he never took off, 
indoors or outdoors, regardless of the season, the presence or absence of wind, or the pleas of friends, relatives, and loved ones. Hiya, Ridden, he said. How much do you want for that Luga? Why the sudden interest, I asked. You told me they were so much rusted scrap iron before. Well, I was wrong about that. Whoever packed them in that grease and whoever maintained them before that knew what they were doing. They've been fired, sure, but I hardly had to do anything but clean and reassemble them. I know a guy in Marin who'll pay top dollar for a well-maintained pre-war Luger. The supermatch isn't worth as much, but I could probably move that for you, too. Thanks, W.J., but like I told you, they've got sentimental value. Turns out I need them, too. I take it they are firing okay? Windbreaker gave a cackling laugh, moving his narrow shoulders in rhythm with the sound. Oh, yeah. Had some fun with them in the range in the basement. As long as you stay off high-test ammo, they'll be almost as reliable as your Glock. Of course, nothing really beats a Glock for simple, brain-dead reliability. He pointed to the Dykes on Bikes poster he had thumbtacked to the wall behind him. One of the sisters tells me she even cleans hers in the dishwasher. Given that the majority of the Glock's components were made of a polymer plastic, that wasn't as far-fetched as it sounded. Go figure, I said, just to be sociable. How much do I owe you? A hundred and fifty for the service, he said, and reached under the counter to bring up both guns and new leather shoulder holsters. And another three for the holsters. I smiled and shook my head. Lucky I didn't agree to sell you the guns. You would have missed the opportunity to clip me for the accoutrements. No thanks, W.J. I've already got a shoulder holster for my Glock. A holster's no place to scrimp for shooters, man. The Supermatch has a longer barrel than your Glock, and the Luger's out of the question. It'll be flopping around like a soda straw in a glass. I picked up the holster with the Luger and pulled it out. Windbreaker was right. The fit was good with the holster he'd paired with it, but I could see it wouldn't be with my old one. The German design for the Luger was different, relying as it did on a toggle action rather than the slide action used by almost every other automatic. It meant that the barrel of the gun was not surrounded by a bulky slide, making the profile more narrow, and some said more natural to aim and shoot. It did feel pretty good in my hand. Tell you what, I said, spot me a few rounds with each weapon in the basement, and we can talk about the extras. W.J. spread his arms wide like a used car dealer shooing a customer into a test ride. My pleasure. By the time Chris showed up at the store, Windbreaker was ringing up a sale of five seventy-five on my credit card. The charge for the original service, both holsters, two boxes of ammo for each gun, and a final cleaning and oiling after the test firing. I had run three magazines through both automatics and was surprised to find just how much I liked the Luger. There was something to the idea that it was easier to aim, and I had three paper targets with no shot further out than the second ring to prove it. By comparison, the supermatch felt a little clunky, but nonetheless serviceable for a backup. Wow, said Chris when he came through the door and saw the guns and ammunition on the counter. What's with all the hardware? 
Chris, I said. Meet W.J. W.J., meet Chris. Chris nodded. Good to meet you. Nice windbreaker, by the way. Thanks, said W.J., not quite sure how to take Chris or his comment. So, said Chris, is someone going to explain about all the death-dealing apparatus? Two private dicks, I said to wind him up. Two guns. That's what I was afraid you were going to say. Chris put his hand to his chest. Believe me, August. I'm honored. It's the first time you've acknowledged me as a regular... But unpaid. But unpaid partner. But you know how I feel about guns, and you know how I did the last time you gave me one. Yes, I know. W.J. had placed the automatics with their holsters and ammo into two brown paper sacks. I took the one with the Luger and shoved the other into Chris's gut. I'll trust you to carry this one out to the car anyways. I believe we've got an appointment in Oakland. You have been listening to The Big Wake Up, a book Publishers Weekly described as outstanding in a starred review. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Hoggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markhoggins.com.